All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, look in verse 6. The Bible says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. All right, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness to us this evening. God, I pray that you'd give me understanding, Lord, and help me, God, to preach this, Lord, as I ought to, Lord. I pray that you'd help me to preach it, God, to the best of my ability, God, to say everything, God, that needs to be said, God, so that it'd be clear to the hearers. And God, I pray that you'd magnify yourself, magnify the work of your dear son, Jesus Christ, what he did at Calvary. Lord, I pray that you'd enlarge that in our hearts tonight, Lord, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I will warn you, this is one of those messages that I have no idea how it's going to turn out. It may be absolutely confusing, but I, I pray it won't be. I uh, was sitting in my office looking over some stuff just a couple of minutes ago, and it was like a veil was lifted off my eyes and started seeing some stuff, some things that I'd like to point out to you. And uh, so as a result, I didn't have time to think through it more than once, which is always dangerous when you're getting ready to give a quote-unquote, quote, public address. So I just want to warn you, if things are a little bit convoluted and, I, and it looks like you're confused, I'm going to back up and try and explain it again. And if we hit that about three or four times, I'm just going to say, okay, maybe I'm just an idiot and don't know how to explain it. Deal? The Lord's still good, though. God... Jesus Christ still died for your sins, and he's willing to save you if you just call on him and trust him. And so tonight, what I want to really preach to you about is exactly that. The Bible says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, the last part of that verse, he says, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now, before we go any further, I just want to make the statement that that sacrifice has been completed. There, we don't have to gather in here this morning. We don't have to gather around some kind of table or altar and have the sacrifice of Jesus Christ over and over and over and over. Sacrificed once for all. All, all that's left to be done is you've just simply got to believe. You have to trust what Jesus Christ did for you at Calvary, and it's over. It's complete. Now, we talked about a little bit this morning about personal sanctification. There's still a process that goes on there, but as far as whether or not where you're going when you die, if you trust in, trusted in what Jesus Christ did for you at Calvary, it's completed. It's done. So thank, thank God that the Bible says for even, our, even Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. You're not sacrificed for yourself. You're not, there's nothing that you can do that is going to be satisfying in the eyes of God the Father that God's going to look at you and say, yeah, that'll do. When Jesus Christ was hanging at Calvary, he said, it is finished. That means there's nothing more to do. It's done. It's completed. All that you've got to do is accept by faith what Christ did for you at Calvary. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But to get back in context here in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, he's talking about somebody in the, in the congregation is, has committed fornication, gross fornication as is not named among the Gentiles. And Paul is talking about the fact, he's talking about how the, proud these folks have gotten. And he says, your glory is not good. He said, the fact that you're uh, magnifying yourself, the fact that you're bragging about whatever, he said, is not good. Now listen, I'll, I'll grant you, 
As a Christian, there are some things that you have room to glory in. The Bible talks about in Romans chapter 4 that, that Abraham had whereof to glory. He just didn't have any room to glory before God. He said he had whereof to glory, but not before God. There are some things that you as a Christian can say, praise the Lord, this has taken place in my life. You just can't do that before the Lord. You just can't stand before God and say, look at what I did, Lord. Because at the end of the day, as we talked about that this, as we talked about it this morning, that's the Holy Ghost in you. That is God, the Holy Spirit, working that work of sanctification. And the part that you have is obedience. And so you could, in a sense, look around at your life and say, man, I'm, I've got great success. But when you've got a situation like you've got in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that's not one of those situations. If you've got gross fornication going on in your life, in your family, in your church, in your nation, now's not the time to brag. Now's not the time to pat yourself on the back and say, look at me, I'm doing such a great job, because you're not. You're doing a very poor job. And so Paul says, your glorying is not good. He says, know ye not, therefore, know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Now, I hope we all understand what leaven is. Maybe some of the youngins don't know what leaven is. Leaven is anything that you can put in bread that will make it rise. Yeast, baking soda, baking powder. Uh, you take yeast, I'll give you a little bit of a chemistry lesson here. It's not very deep. That's the only reason I can understand it. You take yeast, and basically what that thing is, is it's a fungus. It's an organism and you mix it with water, get that thing in a liquid form and pour some sugar in it, and that organism eats that sugar. It consumes that sugar, and it produces a gas. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong about this, but I'm going to venture out and say that it's carbon dioxide. Might be wrong about that, but I don't think I am. It produces a gas either way, and that's what gets into your bread and makes it rise. So right off the bat, I'll just point out to you that leaven is something that makes you rise. It makes you go up instead of down. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. How much pride in your heart does it take to make you go up? Does it take a lot? It don't take a lot at all. All it takes is just a little bit, just a little bit. And listen, you get just that little bit in there, it's too much. It's too much. And we're going to find out why it's too much here in just a second. He says, know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Now, to go back to the context of what he's talking about, he's talking about this particular church member in the congregation, in the assembly of the church that is committing this deed. And he says, listen, you're letting this go on with this one guy. It won't be very long before it's multiplied throughout the whole church. You've got to deal with it, and you've got to deal with it immediately. And, but I want to kind of present it to you. Just I've got to mention that because that's in the context, but I want to present it to you tonight in the capacity of you personally as a Christian, as, a, as an individual. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Listen, once you take yeast or baking soda or baking powder, powder and you mix it in that flour, how hard do you reckon it's going to be to go through there and get all that stuff out of there? It's going to be very difficult. You... I, Agreed, it's, you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to go through there. What are you going to do, put it through a sifter? You're going to pour your flour mixed in with your yeast and your baking soda uh, or your baking powder. You're going to take that, pour it through a sifter and sift through it. Oh, there's all my baking soda. There's all my leaven. It's going to go right through there with it. 
You take just a little bit of something, a little bit of something that you let go in your life, whether that be pride, and that's the thing that's common among all men. It's the thing that's common among all ladies. But when I say man, I mean man, woman, boy, and girl. The thing that's common among all of us is that pride, and that's the thing that makes us rise before God. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. That's where you're supposed to be glorying. But that leaven will get in your heart, and that's the thing that makes you rise, just make you just bow right up before God in his presence. And that's also the thing that will make you stink in his presence. Listen, God's not impressed by you. God's not impressed with me. Listen, there may be some very, very good Christians in here. There may be some good Christians walking in the back door right now. Man, you're fired. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But regardless, listen, regardless of how good a Christian you are, you're not impressive to the Lord. You know who impresses God the Father? His Son, Jesus Christ. And listen, if you're going to be quote-unquote impressive to the Lord, if God the Father is going to look at you in any degree and say, yeah, that pleases me, you first, first and foremost, you're going to have to be connected with His Son somehow. And that somehow is not undefinable. It's through trust in what He did for you at Calvary. Through a new birth, it's through being regenerated, not by baptism, but by trusting what He did for you. And if you don't have that connection, if you're not connected with Jesus Christ, quote-unquote, at the hip, so to speak, you're you're not impressive to God the Father. God the Father couldn't give a rip. Now listen... You want, to take, you want to get God's attention. You live a righteous life. I'm talking about as a lost man. I'm running a little bit of a rabbit trail here, but that's okay. We're not having much in the way of special singing and taking up the offering, so I'll give you a double dose in the preaching, okay? You want to get a hold of God's attention. Live a righteous life. Cornelius. People take, they talk about how that God won't hear the prayers of a lost man. And listen, if a lost man's praying about how he can make more money and how he can have a nicer car and a nicer house, God's not listening to that. But if a man's looking for the truth and saying, God, I want the truth, I want to know how I can come into a relationship with you, how I can fellowship with you, I believe God will pay attention to that. The Bible said in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius was praying and giving alms. He was giving money to the poor folks. He's putting his money where his mouth was. That didn't save him, but it got a hold of God's attention. When Peter showed up at Cornelius' house, he said, I perceive that of a truth, God is no respecter of persons. Peter said, I'm a Jew, here's a Gentile. God wasn't dealing with Gentiles, but he said, here's a righteous man. God will pay attention to him enough to get the truth to him. And so God paid attention, sent Peter, said, hey, three men are going to come knocking on your door, go with them. Don't doubt anything, nothing doubting. Peter packed his bags and went down there, preached the gospel to him. Cornelius got saved. So you can try to be impressive to the Lord. Your prayers, your almsgiving, God couldn't give a rip about that unless you're doing it because you're sincerely wanting to know the truth. And listen, that will be determined because when the truth is preached to you, you'll receive it. 
When somebody comes to you and preaches Jesus Christ to you, if you really want the truth, you'll say, there it is. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And when Jesus shows up and says that, you'll believe it. When a preacher shows up and says, Jesus is the only way, you'll believe it. That's right, man, that's right. Not part of the message, but it, it was true nonetheless. So he says, know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Now listen, I will tell you that leaven in the Bible is a picture of moral or doctrinal corruption. The Bible talks about in one of the Gospels, I believe it's in Matthew, where a woman takes a little leaven and she puts it in a lump till the whole is leavened. It doesn't take much, just a little bit here and there. And so the Catholic Church jumps on that and uses that to prove post-millennialism, of which I am not. I am, some of you folks may not know what a post-millennialist is, but let me just say for those of you that do know what it is, I am not a post-millennialist. I do not believe that this world is going to get better and better until one day Jesus Christ is going to come and set up his kingdom. I believe it's going to get worse and worse. You say, what proof do you have for that? History. <laughs> That's the way it's always been. Things have gotten bad, they've gotten worse, they've gotten worse, they've gotten worse until God intervenes. One day, Jesus Christ, God, is going to intervene through his son, the second advent. And so when he's talking about that woman there, when he's talking about that woman there, putting a little leaven into that lump until the whole is leavened, he's not talking about post-millennialism. He's not talking about until the kingdom overtakes the whole world. He's talking about somebody slipping in a little doctrine that's not right, and it overcomes the whole thing. Well, ironically, what Paul is pointing out here, the, the, the idea that he uses is he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, we've gone through 1 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and now we're in chapter 5 to where he's actually dealing with the issues that have to relate to this church's problems in their flesh. Well, a large portion of what he's put the emphasis on in chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 is heart problems. It's a problem with pride. Now it manifests itself in gross fornication. Those things are connected. They're not disconnected. And he points to it and he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Ruin the whole thing. Mess it all up. Your glorying's not good. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? He says, purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. Now that's quite a quite a statement there. He says, here you are as a lump, and a lump is a whole. That's just what the word means. It means a whole. You see passages in the Bible where it talks about a lump of figs. That's a whole of them. It's a collection of them. So when he talks about a lump, that's a lump. You ever went to your neighbor, some of you old timers went to your neighbor and asked for a lump of sugar? You asked for a cup of sugar, but you take a lump of sugar, put it in your coffee? That's a whole. So when he says here, he says, Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. So the statement here is that you're a lump and you are unleavened, but you've got to purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump. But you're unleavened. You're unleavened, but you have leaven in you and you've got to purge it out. Well, which one is it, Paul? You're a little confused there. No, he knows exactly what he's talking about. 
In a doctrinal sense, you are unleavened. You're as unleavened as you're ever going to get. You're as clean. Listen, you're as clean as that baby is when he's first born and they get him cleaned up. Not, not when he's born. And not clean. It looks like he's got Limburger cheese hanging all over him. Nasty, man. Can I just say this with all the charity in my heart? Some of you ladies, you talk about how beautiful these babies are when they're born. They look like E.T. to me, man. I, I just, for the life of me, can't get that figured out. My own kids, when they was born, I don't see the connection. Maybe with her daddy or something, I don't know. I'm just kidding. I say that because he's probably listening at home. But... Anyways, what that has to do with this, I have no idea. But it was funny nonetheless. Give you something to laugh at, okay? Better than watching the Late Late Show. Hey, listen, you as clean, listen, I know how I got on that. You as clean as when that, that fresh skin on that baby after it's born, you as clean right now doctrinally as that baby is when it's first born, cleaned all up. You clean, you unleavened. You say, how's that done by Jesus Christ and what he did for you at Calvary? But as you go through life, a lot of times what happens is you pick up a bunch of dirt. You pick up a bunch of dust and that gets on you. And that's why Christ went over there and he washed the feet of his disciples. He, Peter said, hey, I need to be cleaned all over. He said, I need a bath. He said, no, you don't. He said, you just need your feet clean. Well, that's what happens. That's what the same sense in which Paul is talking here. He's saying you're unleavened, but you've got some leaven in there and it's got to be purged out. And let me say this to you, as, as a form of encouragement, you can purge it out. You sure can. And listen, a lot of times what you need is just some simple motivation. There's a reason. There's a reason to purge out that leaven. That's what I want to try and get on to if I can ever get through this. He says, purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For, here's the reason, here's your motive. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, if you've read through your Bible at all, you're familiar at least a little bit with the fact that there was some feast in the Old Testament that had to do with a Passover and had to do with unleavened bread. All right, you remember that? All right, let's take a look at it. Exodus chapter 12 Exodus chapter 12, and let's take a look at where God instituted this feast. Exodus chapter 12. Now, as you're going to Exodus 12, I'm going to read back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast. So... Obviously, according to what Paul's saying, there's some kind of feast that is associated with this Passover. And he's saying Christ is our Passover. He sacrificed for us. Now, our responsibility is to keep the feast. Now, let me make a couple of comments before we read in Exodus chapter 12. We do not have to keep the feast of unleavened bread. We do not keep the Passover literally. And the reason for that is because obviously in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Christ is the fulfillment of the Passover for us. So we're not Messianic Jews. We're not sitting around eating a chicken neck. 
That's what the Orthodox Jews eat. That's what the Messianic Jews eat. They get their cedar plate, put it on the table. It's not a lamb. It's a chicken neck. And they say that that fulfills the observance of the Passover. I got news for you, honey. God's not taking into consideration no chicken neck. I don't know why y'all would get... Y'all been eating chicken necks and thinking that that was a lamb? What's the matter with y'all? <laughs> it, it doesn't fulfill. God, God's not looking at that and considering that at all. Although those chicken necks do smell pretty good when you're sitting there in Passover and you're starving to death. You've got to eat all these bitter herbs and all that stuff. They still observe all that stuff, but that's not fulfillment of the Passover lamb. Well, so we're not, so we as Christians, we don't have to observe that stuff because Christ has fulfilled those things. That, that's why you get to eat pork and you get to eat catfish. Those are dietary things that were given to Israel. This observance of the Passover, as we're going to see in Exodus chapter 12, that's a memorial that's given to Israel. That's something that's been fulfilled for you as a Christian. All right, you see that, understand that so far? Now let's look at Exodus chapter 12. Verse, chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So God's saying, I don't care when Egypt observes their beginning of months. What's the first, day, the first month of the year for us right now? It's January. God says, I don't care what it is for those Gentiles. This month, this month in which we're at right now, this is going to be the beginning of months for you. This will be the first of your year. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, verse 3, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb. According to their house, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him... And his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Now, there's no mention about whether or not if the lamb is too small. You know what that indicates? That indicates that the lamb, regardless of the size of your house, the lamb is enough. He's big enough. There's a possibility that the lamb's going to be too big for you in your house. In that case, go get your neighbor. Just a little coincidence there. If you can read between the lines. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. He's without blemish. He's without spot. He's undefiled. He's pure. He's holy. He's harmless. The son of God. And he's a male. Sorry, ladies. On top of that, Mary has nothing to do with your salvation. You say, why? Because the lamb is a male. He's not both. He's a male. He's Jesus Christ. It's a male. Okay, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation shall kill them in the evening. Did I read that right? What's it say? What, what are they supposed to kill in the evening? How many is that? Just a little coincidence there. So what you're telling me 
According to the scripture of what we just looked at, what you're telling me is that the whole congregation, I understand what the passage is saying. I understand that every family has their own lamb, and that's the lamb that they're supposed to kill. But the English is very interesting. The whole congregation of Israel, the nation as a whole, is supposed to put it, the lamb, the lamb, to death. What do you think happened in the Gospels? The whole congregation of Israel got together. And you know what they put to death? They put to death it, the lamb. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. They shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door of the po- uh, uh, upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. So you've got two sides and you've got a top and you're supposed to take that blood of that lamb that you've now killed at even on the 14th day of the month. And the Bible says you're supposed to take some hyssop, you're supposed to dip it in that blood and you're supposed to strike it on the two side posts and on, on the top of that door. Three, one, two, three. How many crosses were there? Three. How many, how many places were nailed to the cross when Christ hung there? He had four, he's got four holes, one, two, three, and four, but it's three locations. Three nails, rather. You see that? So you put it one, two, three. This is just all coincidence. I mean, no, nobody really knew what they were doing. I mean, this Bible's just thrown... I'm, I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek. I'm being facetious. Somebody knew in Exodus chapter 12 what was coming in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Moses wrote Exodus 12, but I don't think he's the guy that knew what was coming. And they shall eat the flesh. They shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread. Well, there you go, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There's your unleavened bread. And with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Okay, so you don't, well, look at verse 9. Eat it, eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, so you don't boil it. But roast with fire, his head with the legs, and with the pertinence thereof, and ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning, ye shall burn with fire. Okay, so you can't let any of it remain until the morning. You've got to take it all right now, today, tonight. Behold, today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow, right now. You've got to eat it all right now. And he tells them, he says, if anything remains until tomorrow, you've got to burn it all with fire so that there's nothing left. You see that? Okay, well, he says, you'll eat the flesh in that night, verse 8, roast with fire. Don't boil it. So when Christ gets on the cross at Calvary, he, somebody offers him a drink of water, what's he do? He turns it down. No water. But you know what they tried to give him? They tried to give him some gall. That's bitter. He said, they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. This passage, Exodus chapter 12, if this isn't a type, if this isn't a forecast of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, I don't know what is. 
Verse 11. Thus shall you eat it. Now here's your part. That's what the Passover lamb does. Here's your part. Thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand. Ye shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover, not yours. It's the Lord's Passover. And when you eat it, you've got to be ready. Hey, when you get saved, when you take that Passover lamb, you've got to be ready. God didn't save you to just sit on your hind end. God saved you with your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, your clothes on your back. It's time to move. Eat it. You're going to eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now listen. That is a wild statement because what you come through in Exodus chapter, what you come through in the first several chapters of Exodus is God is bringing plagues on Egypt left and right. And if you go back and look at all this stuff, I don't, I haven't done the research that I have commentary sitting back in my office that shows how that every one of those plagues deals with one of the gods that the Egyptians worshiped. God's bringing up frogs. That's God's just attacking all of their gods of Egypt. But God points out in Exodus chapter 12 in this issue with the Passover lamb, the blood of a lamb, he says, against in this, in this particular plague, in this particular dealing, he said, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. All that stuff that I did back there in chapters 11, 10, 9, 8, that's all small stuff. The place where I'm really going to judge the gods of Egypt is right here with this Passover lamb. When Christ died at Calvary, the Bible talks about, I believe it's in the book of Ephesians, how he made an open show of principalities and powers at the cross. Here's all the gods that men worship, and God, so to speak, showed them up at Calvary. Put them in check. He said, I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I'll pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. This day shall be unto you for a memorial. Now listen, that's what the Passover is. And this is not all what we're going to look at, but we've got to get through this. Just hang tight with me. This, shall be, this day shall be unto you for a memorial. Ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. So what they're supposed to do with this feast, this Passover, what they're supposed to do with this is they're supposed to observe this every year. They're supposed to observe this according to Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. They're supposed, or I'm sorry, verse 6. They're supposed to observe this on the 14th day of their first month, which turns out to be the month of Abib, in Nehemiah, it's called Nisan, Nisan. That's something that you drive, but N-I-S-A-N. And here it's the month of Abib, A-B-I-B. That's what the months are. And so they're supposed to observe this every year in the, in the history of Israel. They're supposed to observe this Passover. They still do it today. They just do it wrong because they're dispersed among the Gentile nations and they're just a mess. And so they're not doing it right. But nonetheless, that's what they're supposed to do. What it is, what it is, is a memorial. It's something to remember. 
It's not something that saves them. It's not something that imparts some saving grace. It's a memorial. Now, let me not go there because that might be piling too much on your mind. It's a memorial. It's something to remember, okay? Now, look here in verse 15. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven. Here we go, go. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Ye shall eat unleavened bread, even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh month, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And in that, and in the first day, there shall be an holy convocation. And in the seventh day, there shall be an holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. So here's basically how this works. You've got a feast, you've got the observance of the Passover, and with that observance of the Passover, there is the feast of unleavened bread. Look in verse 17. Ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt, therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. You've got the, the observance of the Passover, which is called a feast, and then you've got the observance of unleavened bread, which is also called a feast. You've got the Passover, which is day one of the observance of unleavened bread. That Passover is there on the first day. It's on the first night. Starts at even. Then that feast of unleavened bread runs seven days. It runs from the 14th day of the first month until the 21st day of the first month. Seven days. But on that first day, you're supposed to have the Passover. And he says, before that Passover comes, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to go throughout all your dwellings and I want you to look for anything that's got leaven in it. And he said, I want you to get it out. And he said, when you get it out, when you clean all that stuff out of your property, he said, I don't want to see any leaven anymore throughout this Feast of Unleavened Bread. After the Feast of Unleavened Bread is over... Go get your bacon soda, bacon powder, bacon soda. Get your bacon powder, get your yeast, you do whatever you want to do. But for this Feast of Unleavened Bread, during this observance of the Passover, no, no leaven. You know what that speaks of? That speaks of the fact that when the, the Passover lamb was sacrificed for you, you've got no reason to rise. You've got no reason to get proud. You're supposed to get low. Listen, when, the, when you take into consideration the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, that's not something that should make you swell up with pride. That's something that should make you humble yourself. It's something that should make you get as low as possibly you can. Listen, when you got saved, you weren't popping bubble gum coming down to the altar, skipping and hopping. You might have been running to an altar. You might have been running to get down on your knees somewhere, but you wasn't doing it because you was being quote-unquote gay and happy. You was doing it because either you was afraid of God's judgment or you appreciated what Jesus Christ did for you at Calvary. Some got saved by fear. Others got saved by compassion. That's just, that's the way that God deals with folks. Either way. So he says, no leaven. No leaven. So in the first month on the 14th day, verse 18 of the month at even, ye shall eat unleavened bread until one in, 
until the one and twentieth day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he be a stranger or born in the land, you shall eat nothing leavened, and all your habitation shall you eat unleavened bread. All right, hope you get the picture. Skip down to verse 24. Ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when you become in the land which the Lord will give you according as he hath promised that ye shall keep this, what's he call it? It's a service. You're supposed to serve God acceptably with fear. The Bible talks about in Romans chapter 12. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Listen to me. You present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable. Well, he calls this a service. Okay, you see that connection slightly there? All right, just tuck that in the back of your mind. That ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, what mean ye by this service? That ye shall say, it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our, our houses and the people bowed the head and worship. That's because Moses is standing around telling them what they're supposed to do. So the Bible says that they bow their head and worship. Now listen, he says there in 27 that when your sons ask you, hey, why are we doing this, this Passover, this feast of unleavened? What's this all about? What's their response supposed to be? Verse 27, it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. Right. So you're talking about what takes place on the 14th day of the month when we bring that Passover lamb in and kill him and shed his blood. That's the observance of the Passover. That's not the response. They're standing around looking at this. They're looking, apparently, these boys will be looking at this saying, hey, we're killing this sacrifice. We're doing this on the 14th day. Now we're getting ready to go into a situation to where we have to abstain from leaven for seven days. What's this all about? Response. It's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. You mean day 14? No, day 14 through day 21. Just let that sink in for just a second. You say, that might be a stretch. I don't think so, but just go with me for just a second. You come to, listen, day 14 through day 21 is not what got them out of Egypt. What got them out of Egypt was day 14. What got them out of Egypt was not the observance of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What got them out of Egypt was not getting leaven out of their houses. That was part of the observance that they are to observe when they get to the land where they're going. What got, them out of the, what got them out of Egypt is the fact that you bring in this lamb and you sacrifice him, you kill him, take his blood and put it on the doorpost and the death angel comes through at midnight and he sees the blood and he passes over you. That's what got them out of Egypt. Pharaoh comes and says, get out of here, I've had enough. What got you, listen, what got you out of Egypt, Christian, what got you out of the world, what got you out of sin was the 14th day. It was that lamb being sacrificed for you. But there's an observance that goes with that. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, let us 
keep the feast. Are you keeping the feast? You say, how do I keep it? Get the leaven out. Get the leaven out. You take a step back and you look at the Passover lamb. For even Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. You take a step back and you look at that Passover and you say, okay. And then Paul turns around and says, therefore, let us keep the feast. So what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to get that leaven out. You're supposed to get that moral corruption out. You're supposed to get that doctrinal corruption out. In light of what? What's our motive? Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. There's your motive. There's your motive. Take your Bible and go to... Let me, let me get my notes here for just a second. Take your Bible and go to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 22. And then I'm going to get John chapter 12 in the other hand. <clears throat> I've, I've kind of got to get a, several places in my hand because I'm going to be flip-flopping back and forth so... I have Luke 22, I have John chapter 12, and then I'm also going to get Exodus chapter 12 again because we're going to compare a little bit of Scripture with Scripture. Okay, the instructions in Exodus chapter 12 for this Passover lamb was, Speak ye, verse 3, unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day, what are they supposed to do in the tenth day? In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb. So on the tenth day of this first month, you go get the lamb. You don't kill him on the tenth day. What day do you kill him? Verse 6, ye shall keep it, the lamb, until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So you grab this lamb on the tenth day, and then you kill him on the fourteenth day at even, which I take to be six o'clock. Okay, John chapter 12, verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. So Jesus Christ is at Bethany, having this feast, they... Mary, Martha, and Lazarus have made this feast for him six days before the Passover. So listen to me. If, now the Passover is getting ready to come up. They're standing before Pilate. Israel is standing before Pilate saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. He says, why? I don't see any fault in this fella. I don't see no fault in him. And they say, crucify him. He says, okay. He says, you have a custom that I release unto you one at they're right there on the verge of it. They're getting ready to go into Passover as a nation. And at the same time, Jesus Christ is getting ready to be crucified. Six days before Passover, he's sitting here having this feast. So if we're at the 14th day, we're going to count the 14th day, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9. That's six days before Passover. 
Then Jesus, six days before Passover, came to Bethany. So if this was the first month, listen, if this was the first month, it's the beginning of months for that Jew. If it's the first month, here we are on the ninth of Abib, six days before Passover. Passover's Abib 14th, so to speak. Well, here we are, Abib 9th. So what happens on the 9th? What happens six days before Passover? Mary comes in, and she takes an alabaster box filled with ointment, oil, and she anoints him. Well, what's that all about? Well, what do they do in the Old Testament when God gets ready to choose a man for a particular office? You take a horn of oil and you pour it on his head. You anoint him. Here comes a woman. She anoints him. You know what he says? He says, leave her alone against the day of my burying has she done this. You say, what's going on? He's, he's getting ready. He's being chosen. He's, I know that he's already been chosen. He's the son of God. He knows what's going on. But boy, nine days before Passover, and here he's getting anointed. Now watch. Verse 7, let her alone against the day of my burying. Has she done this? This is, this is six days before Passover. This is the ninth. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest consulted that they might put Lazarus to death, also to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus sat when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. Now listen, six days before Bethany, that would have put it at the ninth, he's being anointed. Day 10, he's being presented in Jerusalem to Israel as a king. And what they don't know is that their king is their lamb. They're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hey, here's our king. Yeah, Yahoo. But he's coming in and he's not riding on a white stallion. He's riding on an ass's colt. He's not coming to make war. You say, what's he doing? He's coming to die. And they don't even realize it, but what's going on is their lambs being presented to them as a nation. Look back in Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 1. The Bible says in verse 1, Luke 22, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called... The Passover. You see how he throws those two things right there in together? Okay, Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called Passover. Okay, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. 
And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. Well, why do that? Because Jesus is a Jew, Peter's a Jew, John's a Jew. They observe the Passover. But watch, watch their preparations. Verse 9, and they said unto him, where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house wherein he entereth, where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the good men of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished, there make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now listen, you read through the rest of the passage here, and it doesn't mean that it's not there, but you don't know, you know it's not mentioned in the rest of the passage? No Passover lamb. Where's it at? I can't say conclusively that they're not eating a Passover lamb, but I can say that it's probable. You say, why would you say that? Because they're in Roman captivity. They're under rule of Rome. They're not eating a Passover lamb now. I bet you they weren't eating a Passover lamb when they went into captivity down in Babylon. Where's the Passover lamb? He's sitting across the table from them. You remember when, you remember in the book of Genesis, hey Abraham, take your boy and go sacrifice him to me on the mount that I'm going to tell you about. Packs his bags, he gets up there, and on the way up, the boy looks around and he says, hey, we got the wood and we got the fire, where's the lamb? He says, my son God shall provide himself a lamb. I wonder if those, those disciples were sitting there at the Last Supper thinking, where's our lamb? This is our king. He's supposed to bring in the kingdom. He's supposed to bring us power again. We should be observing the Passover the right way, the way it's listed in the Old Testament. And Jesus Christ is sitting there across from the table knowing what they're thinking because he did throughout his whole life in other instances, he's sitting there knowing what they're thinking, and he's thinking to himself, you just have no idea. Hey, where am I going to eat my... Where, where's the guest chamber where I'm going to eat the Passover? What Passover? You're not observing the Passover the right way. Yeah, I am. I am that lamb. I am that lamb. Now listen, I'm going to point this out because... We're going to start developing a regular habit, which we should have been already. And this is not any knock against anybody per se. It's my fault for not having it regularly. The Lord's Supper, communion. Well, this is where that ordinance was basically instituted. We don't go back and have a Passover lamb, but what we do is we do exactly what the Lord did here at the Last Supper. We have wine, and it's not fermented hooch, it's grape juice. We can do a Bible study on that, but it's grape juice. And then we have some bread, we have, an, we have unleavened bread. Well, this is where it's taken from. And what you do, 
When that particular instance is going on, you know what you're doing? You're having a memorial. It's a remembrance. It's not a saving grace. It's not a sacrament. It's not something that you eat and it puts you into heaven. What you put in your mouth goes down into the belly, Christ said, and then goes out into the draught. What is it? It's a remembrance. You say, what are you remembering? Your Passover lamb. Usually when we have the Lord's Supper, when we have communion, we give a time for things to get real quiet in here. We give people a time to examine themselves, but that's also a time to bow your head and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What you reckon was going through the hearts and minds of those Israelites when they're taking this lamb and bringing it in year after year, bringing that knife up the same way that Abraham brought his knife up to plunge it into the heart of his boy, and they bring that knife down and jab it into the artery on the neck of that lamb, that blood goes gushing out. What do you think they were thinking about? What's this all about? Here you sit in the church age. Here you sit in the church age, and you've got all this stuff sitting in front of you, and all you've got to do is just take a look back and say, there he is. Lord, we thank you, God, for your goodness to us tonight. Lord, we do thank you. God, thank you, Lord, from the bottom of our heart, God, Lord, what you've done for us, God. Lord, there is reason, God, to purge out the old leaven. God, there is reason to live a clean life, God, Lord, and it is because, Lord, you've sacrificed, been sacrificed for us, God, and we thank you for it, Lord. God, we've no right to command our own lives, God, the way that we would like to, God, the way that we want to command our lives. Lord, we have a responsibility to find out, Lord, how you want our lives run because you died and paid for us. God, you bought us with a price. And Lord, we thank you for that, God. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us, God, to humble ourselves before you and recognize, Lord, that we owe you everything. God, you, you gave us all. God, we, at the very least, owe that right back to you. God, help us, Lord, to have the courage, Lord, to have the, the sensibility, God, to recognize the great debt that we owe to you. Lord, we'll thank you for it. God, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for everything that's been made available to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Bless these that have turned out. Bless these that are listening at home. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. God bless you for coming. You're dismissed.